0: On the one hand, the feeling that it all had paid off came when I had those apps on my phone, because even if it never really worked out, I could say, you know what, I give it my best thought, and I created something that I'm proud of. That was already a big validation for me that I not wasted my time, essentially. <laughs> but then that someone was paying me, uh, that, that obviously made me feel a lot better as well. <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to the Scrimber Podcast. On this weekly show, I interview developers about their advice on learning to code and how to get a job in tech. I'm your host, Alex Booker, and today I'm joined by Danny Vogel, a lawyer turned developer based in Barcelona. After working in law for 10 years, Danny realized coding pays the same, but with greater flexibility. Since it's something he dabbled with at school, Danny knew he enjoyed the idea of coding as well. Back then, he wasn't actually sure if he had the right kind of aptitude to be a coder. But, many years later, inspired by his wife's story, who's also a developer, Danny realized coding might not be so far out of reach after all. He devised a study plan alongside his full-time work for a period, but when he saw the light at the end of the tunnel, he quit his job to go all in on coding, except no one was responding to his job applications. That really motivated Danny to go to some local meetups and participate in a coding group project where he got some wise career advice from a senior engineer that turned the tide. In this episode, Danny will share that advice with you. After eventually connecting with some companies, Danny learned more of his law experience transferred than he first realized and was very recently hired as a front-end developer. He's joining us today to tell us how he got the job, even though it wasn't even advertised as a junior position, we'll get into it in just a moment, but every now and again, I do like to ask quickly up front, as not to interrupt the episode later, that you please engage with this podcast if you enjoy it. Sometimes when you're creating a podcast, it can feel like you're sending something into a black hole. We see the numbers kind of going up, but that's not what we find fulfilling. We find helping you fulfilling. So if you could leave a review, share this episode with a friend, or your friends, we'd really appreciate it appreciate that. The more help we get sharing the episode, the bigger and better guests will agree to come on in the future. Thank you. Here's Danny.
0: So growing up, I always liked, well, video games specifically, and I started playing around with computers a lot. And I was always kind of the go-to guy to fix any computer issues my family was having. But It was never obvious to me that I would actually work in that field. So here in in Spain, when you choose your your career path, uh, like in the last few years of high school, you choose whether you want to do letters or numbers. I always thought I was more of a letters guy. And I thought that, you know, software engineering and and any kind of engineering degree required a lot more numbers than I was comfortable with or willing to do. So I I can't say I really saw it. And it always felt more like a hobby to me. So no, I can't say I uh, I ever saw myself as a programmer, coder, developer.
1: That distinction between letters and numbers is interesting because I honestly couldn't answer which one I think programming is because, you know, obviously you're writing letters as you type code and it is a language. So I would probably go towards letters, but then it has those mathematical roots, I suppose, that might group it in with. Of numbers now you're working as a developer what do you think
0: i mean there's definitely math in there but it's nothing i think anyone that can at least do basic math could can handle i mean it definitely does help but i think it also at least in my limited experience for now it seems like something that's i don't know rare, for very specific kind of work and then you can always well These days, you can always just ask ChatGPT for help.
1: Yeah, on the maths part, that's probably something it's really good at, to be fair, because it's quite deterministic. Probably. Okay, so you didn't go straight into coding. What did you do for a career in the first place?
0: I was kind of at a loss as to what I wanted to do exactly. The default, at least in my experience, was always just do business or law. In my case, I chose law. So I studied law for five years here in Barcelona. And after those five years, I, um, I decided to take a master's degree, which took me to New York. And that's where I uh, spent six years, one year studying and then five years working as a lawyer.
1: If my maths are correct, without asking ChatGPT in this case, you, you're basically in law studying or working for over a decade.
0: Yeah, uh, I think it was almost exactly 10 years, actually, at least until I decided to start studying programming.
1: That's such a long time to be doing something. You're probably familiar with the, I don't know if you'd call it a sunken, a sunken cost in this case at all, but what I'm getting at is once you've gone deep down a path, it's sometimes hard to change path. There must have been something really kind of nibbling at you to change careers and learn to code.
0: I mean, no, it's, it's funny you bring that up. I, I, I definitely thought about the sunk cost fallacy or whatever it's called uh, a lot because you know the legal career and the masters and all that it's not exactly the cheapest thing so there was a lot of time and money spent and the bar exam for example in new york is pretty intense and requires a lot of studying so it's a lot of
1: effort i've seen suits <laughs>
0: <laughs> but no it definitely occurred to me i was like wow i'm just kind of like throwing that all away but i mean i do think about it still but i i like to think of it as um that it's not wasted you know it's i i had my career i worked in that career i I learned a lot of valuable things Met a lot of interesting people and it still gave me a lot of skills that i can still use in whatever i decide to do in the future So i don't think of it as anything lost as opposed to just a different fork in the road
1: what made you want to learn to code well a lot of it was mostly
0: just kind of more practical (laughs) basically i wanted a well more money Coders surely don't make more than lawyers. What? Well, at least in Spain, they definitely do. And I think even in the US, where you can definitely make a lot as a lawyer as well. I met my now wife in, in New York, and uh, she's always been a software engineer. So she was making salaries that are pretty close to at least, you know, what you could make as a lawyer at a top law firm. The difference is that a lawyer at a top law firm would be working until 2 a.m., where she got out at 6 or 7.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: But then here in Spain, it's very different. I think here the salaries for lawyers are a lot lower, and the salaries for software engineers are higher because basically they need to attract people from outside. They need to raise their salaries so some people actually want
1: to work here. Were you learning to code before? You met your wife, who's also a coder. Do you think Meetinger had an influence on what you decided to do?
0: Oh, absolutely. So like like I was saying when I when I was in high school, you know, I, I saw software engineering as this kind of thing that I just didn't have a head for that I couldn't do. There was always this like mysterious thing about it, like it's too fancy, it's too difficult. I, I don't can't do this. And I, I just kinda put it aside. And then I guess when I met my wife and um, I saw what she did and I, you know, slowly started learning what it was actually like and showed up a bit more interest. I guess I saw, okay, I I can kind of see how this works. And and then definitely when I actually started studying, then it definitely took a lot of that mystique away and I saw it as something more attainable.
1: There's something really powerful about that, how when you see someone else doing it and maybe they just let you in a little bit and tell you a bit more about what it involves and what the job is like, you kind of realize... Yeah, I can do this too. And it's just that belief is what you need to get started and go the distance, it sounds like. No,
0: absolutely. I mean, I'm sure Hollywood had a, a play in it too, where you would see like hackers and there were always like super nerdy types who were like geniuses and tapping away keyboards. They're like, I don't know what they're doing. What are they looking at?
1: Yeah, 100%. And
0: now like some of my friends see the code that I write and it looks super complicated to them. But then I'm like, well, you know, like anything else, once you get used to it, it's just like, this just says hello world. Or whatever.
1: And probably you have the hardest time watching TV and movies because when law is dramatized I think they make up the most ridiculous things and I know that to be true for coding and hacking.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. With Suits it was always like one of the things that bugged me the most was how quickly things happened. <laughs> yeah. Basically you know <laughs> one little case could take years before you even see a judge and here they were like okay next day <laughs> and we're like yeah okay. <laughs>
1: So, Danny, how did you actually go about learning to code? Uh, well, I just started, really. Um, my wife had access to Udemy
0: uh, through work, and I took advantage of that. I, I just looked for a web development course, and uh, I found Angela Yu's web development course. It's a little bit more full stack, I would say. But uh, it was a great introduction in that sense. And uh, yeah, I just started doing those, that course. Um, it started off pretty simple with you know HTML and CSS and slowly introduced JavaScript and then some jQuery, Bootstrap, and then JS was in there as well. Some React towards the end. And I, I stuck to that, at least at first, quite religiously. I didn't really go beyond that. Eventually, I felt like I needed to amplify it a bit more. And I moved on to Free Code FreeCodeCamp, uh, did some of their exercises. I don't remember exactly how I found Scrimba, but I think it was around there because freeCodeCamp was good with the exercises but they were missing the teaching you the theory part I guess and then um, yeah that when they discovered scrum I felt like it had the best of both worlds it gave you a solid basis in the theory but then made you practice a lot as well which I always felt that I was more of a practical learner so that helped me a lot
1: That was actually a question I had around what drew you to web development for many people it is that practical part because compared to backend or data science or something you really see the impact of what you're building did that draw you to it or was there another reason perhaps?
0: There's still the option for me to eventually move to backend or at least full stack or something but i think in my mind it was more like for no particular reason front end felt more like an easier entry point and then i would see how that went and then if i learned a bit more about backend maybe i'll move there but just to get started it felt like an easier place to start
1: how did you find the difficulty level of learning to code <laughs> Well, it's funny because uh html and css actually
0: was pretty simple at first at least okay at least i thought it wasn't simple you know css can always be very tricky and finicky but at the beginning i was like oh this is easy i could do this and then i got the javascript and i was like oh wait <laughs> never mind <laughs> i think uh at the beginning it definitely helped that html and css was relatively easy at least you know the, the easy parts the beginning parts because it, it made me feel more confident that oh this is something i can actually do
1: were you doing this alongside your work as a lawyer or did you focus full-time on learning to code
0: uh, no, this was, um, I mean, the beginning of my plan was basically, okay, I'll just start learning and see how it goes. But I'm not gonna just, you know, give up on my career right away. <laughs> that was a bit risky. Yeah. So yeah, I was working full time and uh, basically just at nights, a couple hours, and maybe on weekends, I would uh, do a bit more of the courses. Do
1: you have a sense for the kind of timeline from starting on Udemy to learning to code well enough that you felt like it was time to start? looking for roles as a developer? I
0: mean, yeah, I looked up the dates recently and it was, um, basically I started Udemy in September 2021 and November of 2022 is when I decided to go all in and actually quit my job and study full time so that I could actually go out and look for work. And then, and then I got my job end of May of 2023. So in all the year and a half ish.
2: Coming up, Danny got a great advice at a meetup and then one day his phone rang. Well, first of all, I don't specifically remember applying for the job in the first place. Danny and Alex will be right back, but first, let's take a look at your social media posts about the podcast. HS at Happy Sarah's, with two S's at the end. I've no idea if I'm saying this right. Shared our episode on how to create a personal brand and why you need one on Twitter or X and wrote, love Scrimba podcast too much. Respect and appreciate your team and colleagues, learn from each other and build your personal reputation. Be open to feedback. Constructive feedback is a gift. Couldn't have said it better myself. Nico at Code Lawani shared her episode with SWIX on how to make your own luck and wrote, Have you heard about the sniper and shotgun approach to applying to jobs? Well, if you haven't, I'm sure you'd find this podcast interesting. Damn, I try to listen to Scrimba podcast every morning, and this one was so insightful. Yeah, the episode with SWIX was really great. I'm really happy you're finding it useful and keep going through our archives. There's a lot of great stuff there. And our final shout out goes out to the person from United Kingdom who left us a review on On Apple Podcasts. It says, great podcast, very helpful, five stars. He's a man of few words, but all of them are positive. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review in your podcast app of choice, it would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps and make sure we can keep working on this show. If you would like to join the conversation on social media, you can always share what you've learned or give us feedback on Twitter, aka X, or on LinkedIn. As long as your post contains the words Screamba Podcast, we will find it. Thank you in advance. And now we're back to the interview with Danny
1: sounds like there was a point where you kind of reached a certain level of momentum. I can just imagine that when you quit your job to focus on continuing to learn to code, you had this feeling of like, yeah, I can do this. I can see the path. I can see the trees from the forest. You just needed that little extra focus period before you could start really applying and putting yourself out there for opportunities. I felt like I needed more time to fully
0: absorb everything because a couple hours here and there weren't working as well anymore. When I needed to get into something a bit more complex, like I was starting to need to react. A couple hours a day, it wasn't enough to like absorb everything i needed to absorb to actually get started but i definitely had the confidence to say okay i feel like i can do this i just need to study more intensely basically and work on my own projects and prepare my cv and have something to show my, like a portfolio and uh basically i gave myself from november until like january to really prepare a portfolio and my cv and then january i started actually putting myself out there updating linkedin and applying for jobs
1: did you feel a degree of pressure once you quit your job to make it happen or were you feeling pretty confident?
0: It was okay. I mean, I had savings and stuff like that. So I was kind of comfortable in that sense. There was pressure towards the end, like a couple of weeks before I actually got my job or even got the call for the interview, I was starting to get kind of worried. I was like, okay, no one's you know answered any of my applications yet. Uh, not even hearing back from anyone. I was getting pretty concerned. Also the the economy wasn't doing so well, so I was kinda of worried in that sense. Like if I gave up and went back to law, like would I wouldn't even be able to find a job anymore? So there was definitely a bit of pressure though. Yeah.
1: As we know and the reason you're here, you did find success in the end. I'm really excited actually to learn a bit more about how the opportunity came about. But maybe before we get into the specific opportunity you ended up succeeding at, you can tell us a bit about your job search in general. You mentioned a couple of things around not hearing back and it was also quite a tough time in the economy as well. What was your approach to to finding work as a developer? How did you go about doing it?
0: First thing I did was update my LinkedIn. Scrimmage course on that helped me with that as well. It was part of the full bootcamp course towards the end, basically a lot of interview questions and updating your profile and that kind of thing. And also, I think the one thing that helped a lot was the keywords, like what to put in your header and your summary and that kind of thing.
1: Because your profile was probably orientated towards law (laughs) at first. Yeah, that was a weird part for me too yeah was it quite a monumental moment when you changed your tagline from lawyer essentially to front-end developer
0: absolutely um i mean a, a few people at least my closest friends already knew but i'm certain sure there were a few people on linkedin who were like wait what? what's going on <laughs> i prepared my cv as best i could um i put some projects on there and then i just started applying to everything that seemed junior ish so basically up to two three years of experience even. And in the meantime, I just kept working away, you know, doing courses, but also focusing a lot on my own projects for my portfolio, basically. And um, I started going to meetups as well here in Barcelona. Oh,
1: nice. Like
0: one day I decided, okay, I should find a meetup. And then I found one and they were having a meetup like the next day. So I was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> it's called Barcelona JS. It's a, you know just a JavaScript group and they, uh, they have talks uh, usually at one of the tech companies here that kind of sponsors the event. There's a couple speakers, pizza and drinks and some networking. And uh, it's been great, pretty great. Like a lot of time the talks would be too technical and I wouldn't understand anything, but also like I would understand just enough to be like, okay, I don't know, I don't get this now, but at least it kind of broadens my perspective on everything.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot. I think there's a huge amount of value in it because as a developer, your job isn't necessarily to know all the answers. It's to know where to find the answers if you need them. And just by absorbing that kind of information at a meetup, it'll kind of help you narrow in on something when you need it. And besides, you'll probably pick it up just by being around. How did you feel about, you know, your first hack meetup? It can be a slightly intimidating environment for. Most people, maybe the social part, sure. But if you're not a professional developer, you might get the sense that you're like infiltrating it somehow. And, you you know, it's your first chance to see how you can converse and network with other developers.
0: I mean, I definitely had a bit of imposter syndrome. It was a bit nerve wracking. I felt like the most clueless person there for sure. But then again, I don't know, everybody was very friendly and and they were happy to answer questions. And I also made the effort to speak to the people that worked at the company that was uh, hosting the meetup just to get a sense of, you know, were they hiring juniors or what were they looking for in a junior, that kind of thing. And that also helped a bit into to learn, you know, what kind of skills I should focus on. For example, like if they were more interested in testing or did I know what object oriented programming was or that kind of thing.
1: What was the best piece of advice you got while networking at the meetup? If I could put you on the spot.
0: No, for sure. Um, And and great, because this was from the first meetup as well. Um, One of the talks was from the head engineer at Honeypot. And I spoke to him afterwards, and he was very helpful because obviously he's... So Honeypot is a website that helps you find a job. But the way it works is the company actually looks for candidates so you just make your profile and put your skills on there and then you just wait to hear from companies that are interested in you
1: so you don't apply like you would on linkedin that you make a profile and then the companies come to you yeah they do the searching so it's comfortable in that sense but i
0: still get the feeling that it might be trickier for junior developers yeah
1: there's a few platforms like that uh hired.com i think is another one definitely worth making a profile and, and seeing what you can gleam as a as a new developer
0: absolutely my philosophy was always the shotgun approach you know whatever you can to apply just send it out and if it works great doesn't no harm done.
1: What advice did that person give you? So
0: he was telling me the thing that you should do for your own projects to get people interested is just to work on something that helps you. So, like a tool that could make your life easier in some way, whether it's a to do list or a calendar app or whatever it is. I don't remember the specifics, but he made some sort of tool that helped him analyze data or like organize the data in some way. And it was just like for himself. So that was his advice to just work on a project that, you know, is for me, and then I can then show off. And I think that was really good advice. And I think that definitely helped to to get me kind of exactly where I wanted to be. So that inspired me to create my star app, in quotes, it's called GameState. And it's just an app for uh, saving the video games you've played, and the games that you want to play, kind of like a movie watching app and it connects to a database an API that has all the video games and I pull data from there so you can search and then you can add a game to one of the two lists whether you want to play it or you already played it you put the date whether you're playing it whether you dropped it or whether you beat it you can add a little comment and the date and then there's a nice list with like filters and organized by year and that kind of thing
1: that sounds so sweet I think when you described it I imagined maybe a crud app kind of like a notes app but you know the title and the UI text is all around games and stuff Uh, but it sounds like you actually connected this to an API as well. So you could probably just search the game and like pull in the game information, save the games you played, create a wish list almost for the games you want to play. Are you like a big gamer then? Is that where the motivation came from? Yeah,
0: absolutely. yeah. The way I had done it before was I just had a notes, literally a notes app and I had a new like note for each year. And um, I would just save the games I played as I played them, basically, just to kind of keep track of what I played and what I forgot. And for no particular reason, just to kind of look back every once in a while, and be like, oh, yeah, that was fun. Or maybe go back and play something. But also, if I saw a trailer for a game that I liked, um, then I would save it there and to kind of not forget about it. And then I figured, why not? I was kind of getting tired of the specific note app I was using as well. So I figured, yeah, why not create something that I would actually enjoy and that I can modify to my liking as well. And um, that's how that came about
1: you still use it yeah every day that must be a good feeling man <laughs>
0: it is pretty great the thing that made it really nice too was the course from scrim about making web apps that feel like mobile apps so i did that for my app as well and now i have this icon on my phone so every time i open my phone i have it right there on the home page so i have my own to-do list app and my game state app and with my own little like favicon there and uh every time i see them it's just kind of like nice <laughs> i made that
1: <laughs> i like that a lot This advice to work on projects, I think that's fantastic. I'm glad you could share that with us as well today. And the GameState app sounds sick as well. Were you tempted to code something with your wife since she is a developer as well?
0: We've discussed it a few times and we have a couple ideas that we're considering. But um, I mean, we both have jobs now, so there's that too. But um, we might start working on it someday. They have an app here for the kindergarten that our daughter goes to. Uh, It's just an app that keeps track of, you know, how many times they ate. Did she take a nap? Uh, They post pictures up there and we thought creating something like that might be fun, like a better version for it.
1: I saw in your Scrimba Discord post that you used a website called chingu.io. I think I'm pronouncing that right which gave you experience working in a team. Can you tell us more about that platform? It looks interesting.
0: This came from another user on Scrimba. Um, his name is well, Mist, his username at least. He mentioned his website once and it seemed interesting because what they do is hook you up with other developers that are just interested in creating something and they have what they call voyages. So every few months they start a new voyage and it lasts, I think it was maybe six weeks or eight. And you know, there's sprints inside the voyage and basically the idea is to create something as a team and do do it all using Agile methodologies and using a Kanban board and all that. I think that was super helpful and to just get a real feeling for how it would be to work at a company as well. Yeah, it was a great experience. In my case, I actually joined a group that had already started. So they had already made the plan of what they wanted to create which was a crypto dashboard in my case, but I hopped right in. I think they were around in their second or third week. And yeah, we just finished creating that uh, dashboard together using React and the and design and um, CSS in general, I guess, and uh, Firebase authentication as well, and all that stuff.
1: What made you want to commit to that? rather than code another project by yourself?
0: Well, mostly the the idea of learning more about how agile and scrum methodologies work. Also the idea of, because well, like having created a few projects at that point myself and, you know, being in control of everything, I thought it was really interesting to see how we could work on separate components and then we have to figure out how to link them together and make them work with each other. I thought that was interesting to see as well.
1: That's not the kind of experience you get by yourself, is it? No, and then also the conflicts that can arise from that and maybe
0: disagreeing with how someone does something yeah. or also seeing how they did something and being like, oh, I guess that's another way to do it. That's interesting.
1: So obviously you learned a ton about collaborating on code. Through that process, was there anything about it that could count as networking or career advice that helped you get the job you're working now? Well, the app itself,
0: Crypto Dashboard, combined with the video game app that I'd made myself, was basically the summary of what my job is now, which is uh, working at a blockchain video game company. So the combination of those two things happened to lead exactly to the. I mean, personally, I was more interested in the video game part of it, but, you know, blockchain and crypto is just very interesting from a developer standpoint as well. And, um, those two apps were what apparently really stood out to the people that I ended up hiring me because that's what the kind of profile they were looking for.
1: This sounds like a really nice segue into the role that you're working. I read that the position you applied for wasn't advertised as a junior position. Can you tell us more about that and what you think they wanted to see from the candidate that meant you got the job? Well, first of all, I don't specifically remember applying for the job in the first place. You really were taking the shotgun approach, it sounds like. <laughs> yes. So what happened was basically,
0: yeah, I would just, you know, applying to jobs left and right. And one day I just get a phone call and they're like, hi, we're from this company. And I'm like, which one? (laughs) So she told me the name and I'm like searching my emails, looking for that confirmation email you get when you, you know, you apply for anything. Usually like, oh, thanks for your interest, blah, blah, blah. But I couldn't find that either. So I was very confused. But then I saw the company and I was like, okay, it makes sense that I would have applied to this company (laughs) because it's, you know, blockchain video game. Yeah, it sounds interesting to me. But I saw the job posting, and and yeah, it just said front-end developer, and they just left for, I guess, more general experience. They didn't specify how many years you needed to have or anything like that. So um, I figured I had a decent job.
1: It's interesting because some people would look at a job ad uh, that doesn't cite a number of years of experience, but by virtue of the fact that it's not classified as a junior role, they might talk themselves out of applying to that position. What would you say to that? I would say not to.
0: <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I don't think I saw very many jobs that didn't have a, an experience requirement. So it was hard to say because I, I saw, I guess, both sides. Some people were just asking for a front-end developer, and then they were asking for five years, or they would ask for junior but still three years of experience, and I found that kind of yeah conflicting. So basically, I would say to focus less on the amount of years and more on what the skills are that they're asking for. So if they ask for React and I don't know maybe Tailwind or some testing, if you feel like you have at least two or three of those, then I would say go for it if you can show off what you've done and, and show them that you're a capable developer and that you have skills worth that they're that they could be interesting in, then I would say go for it. You have nothing to lose really.
1: I agree with that one hundred percent. I think that's very wise advice. I don't think you should ever talk yourself out of something you should let them talk you out of it if it makes sense like if that's the way it's going to go that's the way it's going to go but you're not necessarily qualified to judge your own experience and if you shut yourself off to opportunities because you talk yourself out of them you don't end up in a position like yours danny where you end up getting the role because of a great i was thinking of the word coincidence but what i'm thinking is that there just happened to be that synergy where the company was aligned with some of the projects you'd worked on while you were learning. That must have been something they were really interested in.
0: And just because you mentioned the luck and, and synergy, the other piece of advice that I got, not for coding, but for my law career, was one that I thought was very important to it. It's kind of just basically the old the saying about you make your own luck. But the way he phrased it was, this was my former boss, as was a paralegal when I was first starting out. He uh, He just said that basically you have to give yourself as many options as you can so basically, at the time, I had done my master's degree, and my plan really was to just do a year in New York and go back to Barcelona. But uh, what ended up happening is I, I got this opportunity to work, to work there under this like practical program. That was still part of the master's, basically. But I hadn't applied for it yet. So then my boss kind of gave me a lecture and it says like, "Why would you limit yourself like that? You know, even if you didn't think you were going to stay, you should still keep that option open for yourself in case an interesting opportunity arises." So I think that's very important. And I think that's also part of why I kind of put myself out there and and went to the meetups and, and decided to do the Chingu collaborative project just to get as many skills and options under my belt as possible so that what I want can come to me.
1: Yeah. You never knew what was going to happen. Maybe at the Chingu and one of the voyages, you work with someone who gets hired a bit ahead of you. They could intro you to the company. Maybe at the meetup, it just so happens the company hosting it is also hiring to you. Like, okay, if that didn't happen... But you never could know those things, right? You have to try and see what happens. And then what did actually end up happening is that one of the companies you applied for, as you maximized your chance to get lucky by applying for a broad range of jobs that were reasonably relevant, right? And you didn't talk yourself out of that created the opportunity to get the call back a few months later. It sounds like I want to learn a bit more about sort of the interview process and how that all went. But what do you say we break up the interview a little bit with some quick fire questions? Okay, sure. I didn't tell you about this, did I? (laughs) (laughs) No, you didn't. What is one learning resource that has been the most impactful on your journey learning to code? I would have to say my wife, which is a bit unfair to everyone out there if they don't have my wife. But uh, she was extremely helpful for me. Um, I
0: mean, basically where you see me sitting now, uh, he sits right behind me. Uh, She actually works remotely all the time. So while I was either studying, um, she would basically be right behind me. And whenever I was banging my head against some JavaScript algorithm problem, I would try to solve it myself first, but eventually I would bug her about it. And she's been very patient and helpful.
1: I'm pretty sure she's gonna listen to this and be really proud of you so shout out to Danny's wife What is your favorite technology to use at the moment?
0: I would say Vue. So obviously uh, I was studying React because that was the most popular framework and the one that most jobs exist for. But my company happens to have chosen Vue as their front-end framework. And at first I was worried, but um, it turns out it just felt a lot more comfortable for me and uh, I really enjoy working with it. That and Tailwind. I enjoyed Tailwind a lot too, which I didn't have a lot of experience
1: with. What about a technology that you have seen and you're interested in learning more about? I just read
0: about it yesterday. It's the React. The, the server-side components, server-side rendering and React server components, I think.
1: Yeah, that's like a whole new world, isn't it? Yeah, and it seems to be gaining a lot of traction
0: and popularity. So I just want to at least, even though I'm not doing that with VU, I want to you know keep up to date with what's going on in React.
1: Oh, I like that answer because instead of just learning a new technology, uh, you're learning essentially a pattern, an advanced topic for a technology you already know. That's really cool.
0: I've been asking a few senior people as well what they think I should study next. So while I could, for example, go more in depth with Vue, I don't think that would be as beneficial as maybe doing more advanced JavaScript or learning something like that. I feel like something more general that could help me with any framework would be more beneficial than just limiting myself to one.
1: Danny, what music do you like to go to? I listen to a lot of uh,
0: lo-fi beats and hip-hop, that kind of thing. Just kind of chill, rhythmic music. But then sometimes when it gets a little frustrating, maybe something a bit more rocky. I'm a big fan of Muse.
1: I've got a special question that I've added to the quickfire just for you. I want to know what your favorite game is at the moment.
0: Well, at the moment, I'm playing Stardew Valley again because I just wanted to relax and chill with something comfortable and nice. If you don't know, it's a farming sim game. Like, it has a very nice cycle where you just kind of plant your crops, water your crops, and then pick your crops and sell them, that kind of thing. It's very relaxing and uh, it felt like the right thing at the moment. And before that, I was just playing Tears of the Kingdom, the new Legend of Zelda game, which is amazing.
1: as well. Stardew Valley, I love that game it's so you're right it's so relaxing and peaceful the music the atmosphere there was a point when i was learning to code that i would quite like to play like quite easy games like that while watching plural site modules in another kind of tab or something or another screen i I don't think that was the best way to do it i think i probably (laughs) didn't retain much of that information
0: yeah i was gonna say I, i would be way too distracted
1: in either one or the other all right. So I was keen to learn a bit more about the interview process. You you kind of gave us a bit of a teaser, I feel like, because you told us that they phoned you up. They were like, Danny, we liked your profile. You were like, who is this? Basically, And then once you looked it all up, you were like, yeah, this makes sense. But what, yeah, what was that phone call about exactly? And maybe you can tell us what were the steps in the process? So
0: this all happened within one week. So it was all very quick. The first call was from HR um and they just kind of introduced yeah. themselves and that so they received my application that I didn't remember sending and uh, just kind of asked about my general interest. They were very generic questions like, oh, so you're a developer and are you interested in video games? I was like, yes. And yeah, I don't think they were very complicated questions. She just basically wanted to make sure that I was, I guess, a real person and capable of having a conversation.
1: Yeah. No red flags, basically.
0: And then she uh, kind of explained what the next two steps would be, which would be a video call with a COO who would basically be my boss if I was hired and then after that assuming that went well a technical interview would be the last step so that uh second call with the ceo was a bit more in depth but still a more general conversation kind of thing just more specific to what i was doing as a programmer what my what my interests were what my career path was that kind of thing i was a little bit surprised that they definitely didn't care that i used to be a lawyer and just made the switch that kind of thing like i mean they didn't care in a, in a bad way is what i'm trying to say it did come up but you know they had no problem with it at all
1: they went not the deterred to say
0: the least exactly so that was nice and gave me a bit of more confidence as well. And uh, he was very excited about my video game map as well. Um, He seemed very interested because he was using a similar thing for movies. So he he was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And it was nice to see that as well.
1: So it was that uh, the first step was the interview with the HR person. The second conversation was with the COO where they weren't drilling you on technical stuff. It doesn't sound like so far, but just to have a conversation about your interests and your projects and things like that before moving on. Is that right?
0: Yeah. And explaining a bit about the company and what I would be doing if I was hired. And then uh, since that went well, the next step was uh, going into the office to see the office and kind of see what that's like.
1: Is it a hybrid role or an in-person role? So I happen to find the one job that is fully... Uh, in office. We'll definitely get into that. (laughs) But yeah, tell me more about what what came next. Uh, Yeah,
0: just the technical interview. And uh, the good thing about the whole not having remote work is that um, it's right next door to where I live. Oh,
1: yeah, decent. (laughs) It's
0: like five minutes away. It's actually halfway to my daughter's nursery. So I couldn't have asked for a better location. The uh, technical interview was at the office, and um, what that involved was uh, logging into HackerRank and um, doing one of their certifications.
1: So, HackerRank is online coding tests and technical interview kind of challenges. Right. Basically,
0: they have kind of like certificates you can get, and basically, you take a little test to get that certificate, which you can then show off on your profile in LinkedIn or whatever. I forget what mine was exactly, but it was like relatively low level JavaScript, like I think it was Junior or something slightly higher than that. And it consisted of two JavaScript problems to solve. Actually, technically you could have done it in any language, but in uh, Microsoft, obviously JavaScript. So yeah, um, I basically sat down. I even brought my own laptop and uh, I just worked on that for about an hour and a half on those two problems.
1: Some people, they drill LeetCode, Project Euler, hacker rank type of platforms so that when they get the interview, they are warm, I suppose, or familiar. Was that something you'd prepared for and how did the experience actually go? How did you feel at the time? Unfortunately, I had
0: done a few, so I at least knew the format and how everything worked because uh, it's not exactly the easiest thing to work with, I would say. But I definitely didn't do enough.
1: You can always do more.
0: (laughs) It was actually kind of tricky. Um, The first one, I I did see the path relatively easily. Um, I did manage to get to a working point. But I think what happened in the end was just explaining, I guess, the hacker rank, the way it works when it tests your code is it it runs like 10 different tests. So I had like six or seven of them that passed without issues. But the other ones, the remaining tests, they didn't fail. They timed
1: out. Okay. So like the function never returned or something. I think the issue was that I had maybe
0: one too many for loops or whatever I was using. I don't think it was an infinite loop. It was just taking too long for hacker rank. They had a time limit, basically on how long they want to process your code. So I think it still worked. It just took longer than they wanted it to take. So
1: it wasn't efficient enough, basically, is the point. Yes,
0: basically. <laughs> so I got to that point. And I was like, OK, I'm kind of running short on time. I should start on the other one. So the second one, I actually did not do very well on. That one was more confusing to me, and I couldn't really figure it out too well. So I guess this is where a little bit of well, on, a lot of luck came in. Basically, I ran out of time. Um, I actually went back to the first one as well and kind of improved it a little bit, maybe got another test to work. But it was still kind of timing out. But the second one was a little bit of a failure, or you know, a failure to say honestly. So then the guy who was interviewing me, who ended up being my manager, you know, I told him, okay, yeah, look, you know, let's take a look. Um, so I showed him the first one, and he took a look, and and he at least was in the opinion that the code did work. That it was just timing out because of HackerRank's limitations, not because it was wrong per se. But you know, obviously it could be improved performance wise, and that was it. He actually never looked at the second question, um, which was the one that I'd done badly on. And he was just like, yeah, okay, looks good to me. Uh, Yeah, we can move on. Uh, HR person will give you a tour of the office, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, okay.
1: (laughs) Obviously, I wasn't going to insist. Wait, wait. When you say he didn't look at the second one... Did he see that it hadn't gone well and was like, there's no point going into it? Or was he just like, actually, I've seen the first challenge. That's all I needed to see. I
0: think it was more that, yeah, he was satisfied enough with how the first one went that he either forgot about the second one or he was satisfied enough with the first one.
1: We are not going to question that too much. (laughs) Nope, definitely not. We are going to have a tour of the office. Exactly. But how did you feel at the time? It doesn't sound like the tour of the office necessarily meant that you were getting an offer. You could reason they do that to be nice or something. I don't know. I mean, just to bring quite a uh, cynical kind of uh, thought process to it, if you didn't look at the second one, that could actually be kind of a bad thing because You know, he might have determined that after the first challenge, there wasn't any point looking at... I'm just saying, we know that wasn't the case, but if you're in the position where you don't know, these are definitely thoughts you can have. So I'm curious how you felt at the time about your prospects. I mean,
0: I did feel some disappointment as well. Like while I was finishing up the the questions, I was thinking, why didn't I do more hacker rank or why didn't I practice more of these, you know, JavaScript challenges? You
1: can always do more. yeah.
0: (laughs) And then I definitely recommend anyone who's still applying to do more. I was very upset at that moment, just Myself because I was thinking, wow, if I miss out on this job because I didn't do enough of these interview questions, that'll be really disappointing because I feel like I could have gotten the job otherwise.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's a good point.
0: Like you said, the, the whole tour of the office, it did throw me off a little bit because it felt like I was basically in already, but I wasn't because they hadn't confirmed anything. And every once in a while they would throw in a you know, if we had <laughs> but at the same time it felt like they had already made their decision. So it was it was yeah, kind of strange.
1: Yeah. I've been there before actually, where like they're talking about future plans and like, yeah, we're gonna do this. There's a team summit coming up. If you are to receive an offer, <laughs> how did the offer actually come your way in the end?
0: The technical interview was on a Friday. And then by Monday, they called and told me that. So besides a slightly nervous weekend, it was uh, pretty short, I would say.
1: <laughs> a pretty quick turnaround. That must have been a pretty great feeling, especially combined with the tension of the weekend. How did you feel when you got that phone call?
0: It was amazing. I was very, very happy. Just to get the opportunity after what a, you at know, that moment felt like. A, not that long, that I had actually gone full-time into that I quit my job. I've gone full-time into studying, and uh, in the end, it was about five months. And I'm just really excited that the last like two years had led to this moment. I'm very, very
1: pleased. You mentioned that obviously the job market wasn't flourishing, shall we say. It's kind of hard to get a pulse on the developer job market sometimes, but obviously with things like layoffs happening and less job ads, it can be a bit deterring. And you also mentioned that at one point you had reason for pause because you weren't hearing back like you hoped you might have was it a pretty validating feeling to get the offer because for all the effort you'd put forth and the development you'd seen in yourself sometimes you know it's somebody else saying yes you've done a good enough job and you're good enough that we want to hire you and literally pay you to write code and continue growing in this opportunity. We believe in your ability to keep growing. Did that feel great?
0: It definitely did. Like you said, it was two years that were, you know, I took my breaks here and there or left it even like a month or two at a time, but it wasn't easy to sit down every night after working all day as well to to study. And then also when I quit my job, you know, the the little bit of pressure, the working all day on something and banging my head against the Lydia JavaScript problem that I was having, you know, now as I'm saying it, I'm thinking, on the one hand the feeling that it all had paid off came when I had those apps on my phone because even if it never really worked out I could say you know what I give it my best shot and I created something that I'm proud of so that was very satisfying as well so that was already a, a lot of a big validation for me that I not wasted my time essentially <laughs> but then that someone was paying for me uh, that, that obviously made me feel a lot better as well
1: <laughs> was it all worth it in the end challenges and all
0: absolutely I'm, I'm very happy where I am right now <laughs>
1: class man so happy to hear it so so happy for you as well to get that opportunity where it sounds like there's a great alignment um, and yeah, glad Scrimber could play a little role as well. While well, you did all the hard work.
0: A very big role and very helpful. Thankful for, uh, everything they'd
1: done before we wrap up i did want to ask you a little bit about how law and the industry you worked in before maybe helped you in your pursuit of a development job we kind of joked a little bit about the sunken cost fallacy and whether it was a wasted effort or not but you felt pretty convinced actually that these things came with you as you took on this new adventure i just wanted to ask what some of the things that you felt helped you from your previous experience were
0: so actually one of the things that i was told at least that was a key factor in my hiring as well was that uh, them knowing that I was used to be a lawyer made them think that I had a great attention to detail, and that was obviously helpful for coding as it is for reviewing contracts. So, that's something that I would say comes in handy. Just the uh, being used to, you know, reviewing every line of, or in this case, code to find the little, you know, semicolon that's missing or whatever it is. That's something that uh, definitely came with me and that is helpful. And then, otherwise, especially for example, for something like, you know, crypto and also all the privacy issues and all that, I think just having a little bit of a legal background can. And also, give you a moment to see, like, if someone's plowing ahead with an idea for a new feature, and you're like, "I mean, sure, but also, we should probably talk to compliance about whether this is okay."
1: Yeah, and even just like communication, right? Like to politely disagree and have a constructive conversation around it. For example, that's not something you necessarily come out of school with. You bring that with you, I think, from your previous industry.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, knowing how to, you know, tactfully say something that needs to be said. And that kind of
1: thing. What about in terms of actually looking for the job? I have no experience in that area. But my impression is that it can be quite a difficult industry. It can be quite competitive in terms of getting roles.
0: I think in terms of applying for jobs, as a lawyer, I was kind of doing the same thing. I was taking a shotgun approach to everything that I was interested in. And also, I had done quite a few interviews in as a lawyer as well, so I was kind of comfortable with the process and just being in that room with some other person and not be intimidated. I think that's definitely something that, that's helpful. and that unfortunately, I feel like it's something that only comes with the experience of actually doing them, not something you can really learn in school as much
1: when I first started doing it, I felt kind of uncomfortable. But then the more comfortable I got, I realized it's a two-way conversation and not being interrogated. Just, you know, getting exposed to that, I think helps you and that will make you more successful in the interview process when you relax a little bit and learn how to navigate the environment. There are some tips and rules and ways of conducting yourself that make a big difference to your, to your success. I think maybe even a disproportionate difference to your success. Like sometimes your ability to interview can be valued a lot more than your actual technical skills skills. skills. Now that you're literally in that environment, I sort of wanted to hear from you, your perspectives about working in person as a junior. And whether you think that you'd get the same benefits working remotely, potentially.
0: It's hard to say about whether I would get the same benefit remotely, but I do have to say that being there in the office and being able to just walk over to whoever and just ask them the most mundane questions and maybe be a bit too annoying, but, uh, you know, yeah, I, I gotta ask. Doubtful. <laughs> I think that as a junior, it's definitely helpful. Like I sit next to the DevOps uh, guy and he, he's taught me a lot about, you know, deploying on Google cloud, and server architecture and that kind of thing and he's been super helpful and I wonder if I would be as comfortable or if these conversations would just happen as naturally if we weren't right next to each other physically because it's a different thing when I need to you know give them a call or you know discord or slack or whatever they are using
1: it feels like there's more ceremony there like you probably wouldn't bother unless you felt like it was a really good use of their time like if you're already there in the office you, you can see that they're not deep in work and deeply focused on something or maybe you just catch them by the canteen for example it's just really natural to ask a question or strike up a conversation and see where it goes and
0: also the just socializing aspect in general not not even just about work, just chatting on the way to lunch or anything. I, I think that also helps to create those relationships. That ultimately make you more comfortable with asking all the technical questions as well.
1: Yeah, and then you know there is the downside of the lack of flexibility. But since you live five minutes from the office, it's practically just a room in your house. You know, you could if you need the <laughs> bathroom, you can go home practically. So
0: I, could basically, yes. <laughs> I,
1: don't, I think it's I think it's pretty sweet, Danny. Thank you so much for taking the time to tell us your story. Really appreciate it. No,
2: thank you so much for interviewing me. <laughs> That was the Scrimba Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you made it this far, please subscribe. You can find the show wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to check out the show notes if you want to connect with Danny. You can also find both Alex's and mine Twitter handles there. I've been Jan, the producer, and we'll be back next week.